Anyway, uh, welcome to the Saturday morning meditation meetup, everyone. Um, uh, I don't know if I'm seeing new faces here. I think I recognize almost everybody. Um, but just to to recap the usual the usual thing, um, we get, we people ask questions and we try to answer them. Uh, not just me, Gilbert will try to answer them. Various other people will try to answer them. Um, Everybody is welcome to ask questions, any kind of question is welcome. Um, and uh, this is being recorded and will go up on the podcast at some point. So if you want to ask a question that you don't want recorded and don't want to go up on the podcast, please let me know before you ask and I'll stop recording while you're asking and while we're answering. Um, so without further ado, uh, does anybody want to raise any questions? I, uh, this is Aditya, I am new here. Uh, I, thank you. Uh, I had a question. Uh, I'm currently practicing at uh, stage six. And uh, I had a question about uh, metacognitive introspective awareness. Mm -hmm. uh, I was trying to get a sense of what it feels like. Uh, the instructions on it uh, are a bit sparse in the book. Uh, but I'm not really sure what it is that I'm trying to cultivate here. Uh, if you could me out by explaining that figure. So the first thing to say about it is that when you say you're trying to cultivate the, cultivate it, that is an accurate description. But um, it's like it's not something you try to cultivate by imagining what it would be like and then trying to produce what you imagined. Um, that's not going to work. So in a sense, you don't really need to worry about that because um, what you'll find is that is that so I mean think about like any skill that you develop, right? Uh, I don't know, uh, you know, what sorts of skills you might have developed, but for example, riding a bicycle or skiing or something like that, you know, you get on a bicycle and the first time you get on a bicycle, you try to pedal and you fall over, right? Or, you know, maybe you don't fall over, maybe you're smart enough to catch yourself. But one of those two things happens. You definitely probably don't balance, right? And then after a while, um, you start to develop this kinesthetic sense of what it is to ride a bicycle. And it's not something that you are understanding intellectually. If you could only understand it intellectually, the best you could possibly do is maybe sort of like do this sort of like, maybe you could adjust fast enough to not completely fall over, but you'd be like wobbling all over the place and you'd probably crash. Um, but at some point you develop this sort of automatic ability to ride the bicycle. And that automatic ability to ride the bicycle is happening because you've learned a new, almost a sense, right? You've learned a new sense. You've learned a sense of balance that you didn't have before. And that sense of balance is connected to the whole system of you and the bicycle and, and the movement across the road. Um, so that's kind of what you're trying to do with metacognitive introspective awareness. Um, you know, the feel of metacognitive introspective awareness is essentially as if you were watching your mind and, and you know, Chuladasa does say this, and I'm essentially paraphrasing him. It's, it's as if you feel, you feel like you're watching your mind do stuff. And when the metacognitive introspective awareness is present, uh, you know that your mind is doing stuff. And you can kind of notice even when it's absent, because um, for a period of time, your mind, you'll, st you'll have stopped noticing what your mind is doing. You'll, you'll, there'll still be some awareness, but there won't be like that sort of knowledge almost of what's happening and so like you might be going along and realize that you're in a gross distraction 
Well, that's because metacognitive introspective awareness wasn't present, right? You, you, you didn't see the, the subtle distraction happen. You didn't adjust. You didn't straighten up. And so, bam, there you are in your gross distraction. So metacognitive introspective awareness, at one sense, in one sense, is about just that ability to watch. Um, the other thing that, that uh, and this is kind of my personal take on it, and I'm not sure that Chula Dasa would agree with this, but um, I'll just tell you one of the things that I've come up with for myself is that um, there's a tendency to be able to notice um, mental formations. Um, and so, for example, you might notice um, uh, an emotion arising and you don't necessarily know why it's arising, but you know that it's arising and you can sort of, you can sort of observe that there's some context in which it's arising. And, uh, and then having observed that, then you can investigate it. And so that's another example of metacognitive introspective awareness, meaning you're able to look inside of your uh, mind. The only reason why I say, I, I sort of couch that, and I'm not sure that's what Chuladasa means is because there's an aspect of attention to that as well. And, Chuladasa is definitely not talking about attention. So, you know, when you notice something like that, you might turn your attention to it. And obviously, if, if you turn your attention to it, then it's not metacognitive introspective awareness anymore. So, um, I, does that answer your question? So, so sort of. Uh, let, let me explain why I'm still a bit unclear. Yes. Uh, I understand and I have a very good sense of what introspective awareness feels like now. Uh, the, the idea that you have your attention on an object and in the periphery are uh, objects coming into the sense door of the mind mm -hmm. and you know they are there. Mm -hmm. uh, you don't know their nature, you don't know details about them, but they are there. Mm -hmm. And that's introspective awareness. Mm -hmm. How is metacognitive introspective awareness different from just introspective awareness? Hmm. So... Um... I'm probably not the best person to answer that. You might actually want to just get on Chula Dasa's Patreon at some point and ask him to explain the answer to that question. Uh, possibly Gilbert will take a stab at it. I will take a small stab at it, um, but don't take this too seriously. Um, metacognitive means uh, thinking. I mean, in a sense, it means thinking outside of outside of attention, right? If you say metacognitive introspective awareness, it's, it's, it's thinking that's occurring, not in attention. And uh, so one of the things that I think Chula Dasa is talking about when he talks about that is something that I'm sure you've experienced, which is that you become aware of something and you automatically respond to it before you think about it, right? And so you become aware of, uh, a distraction and you automatically do something to, re to respond to the distraction without, without, it, without having to turn your attention to it. There's just an automatic thing that happens. Um, and that would be metacognitive introspective awareness. But I don't think that's really the whole thing that Chula Das is talking about. So I don't know, Gilbert, do you have a, a theory to add here? Or? Not too much, just that metacognitive introspective, that's like the full, taking a full step back and you're kind of, mm -hmm. you gave a great, great I think, uh, description of it. Right, you you know what's going on in your mind, and actually you're you're, but you're not like ca caught up in it, right? right? There's 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 a, you could think of it as like the witness, right? The witness mm -hmm. in a sense, right? That's yeah. If you know what's going on in the mind, um, and introspective awareness is just like a slightly lower step, kind of down from it. Um, 
where exactly that step is and like how far down like i don't i don't know how much it matters but but if, if you understand metacognitive introspective awareness i think that's all you need to really understand because that's that's the direction you want to be heading towards yeah i mean one way to think about it i mean chuladasa used the metaphor of like your 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 you know standing on a i think i think he used this metaphor you're standing on a buoy in the ocean and uh you know when you first start to develop introspective awareness the way you develop it is that you notice a wave just as just as it's about to crash over you right um and then uh as time goes by you start to notice uh the waves before they crash over you and then at some point you start to notice the ocean and i think that metacognitive introspective awareness in its full form is more like noticing the ocean right so maybe that helps sure thanks mm -hmm. Yeah, thanks for the question. Uh, Lewis has his hand up. Uh, yeah, I had a question about um, now when I'm meditating, a lot of um, emotions are coming up mm -hmm. and I'm feeling kind of overwhelmed by it. And I also noticed that um, I'm now kind of uh, having an aversion to meditating and practicing mindfulness in daily life because when I practice mindfulness, a lot of stuff comes up and I don't know how to like keep my awareness open and not get caught up in it. Mm -hmm. So, um, so when it comes up, are you, are you able to, to turn your attention to the breath or are you just completely swamped by it? Um, when meditating, I'm able to do it at the beginning, like the first half hour are okay. Mm -hmm. And then it starts to, uh, kind of get worse. Mm -hmm. So it sort of sounds like maybe maybe uh, a very large wave is about to crash over your boy, so to speak. Um, so uh, I don't have a, 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 a definitive answer to give you, um, but if you're able to maintain mindfulness for say the first half hour of your sit, it may be that the right thing for you to do is just sit for a half hour for a while until until you've been able to pick this apart to the point where it's no longer overwhelming you. Um, the, to, you'll get two benefits from that. One is um, you're having a purification, obviously, right? So, so one of the benefits you'll get is you're actually doing the purification, which sounds like it's a big one. So it's, it's not something that's just going to get resolved in one sit. So doing the purification is, is, um, is going to help you. So if you, can, if you can sit for half an hour and do it and then get up, uh, then that's good. The other thing is, uh, if you're sitting for a half hour and working with the uh, the, the purification, um, that's going to help you to get better at working with the purification. So uh, so your ability to sit with the purification and not be overwhelmed by it should improve over time as you're doing that. Um, and basically, uh, you know, you're probably already doing this, but basically what you want to do is treat it just like any other distraction, which is you allow it to be there. You don't try to push it away or resist it, but you just keep intending to move back to the breath. And if you succeed in moving back to the breath, awesome. If you don't succeed, that's okay too. Um, the main thing is you don't want to get actually sucked into the emotion to the point where you're no longer really meditating. You're just reliving whatever it is that you're going through. Does that make sense? That makes sense. Yeah. Thank you. Sure. 
Ah, uh, sorry, Jeffrey, you have your hand up. I had two questions. Mm -hmm. uh, my first question what is about uh, generating positive feelings during the meditation, like as a way to uh, reinforce the correct behaviors. And I noticed that generally when I sit, I'm kind of just like very workmanlike about it. I'm not, it's not that I feel negative about it. It's more just that I have my mind on the task and I, I don't feel good or bad about it. So I, I wonder, is that okay? Or should I be trying to generate more positivity, especially like when I notice uh, distractions or forgetting or mind wandering? Um, it's good to have some kind of reward, but uh, beating yourself up about not having a reward is also not good. So, so we don't <laughs> want to go down that rat hole. Um, you know, Chiladasa talks about this, and I think it's I think it's useful to to think about. It's just like what you're what you're going for when generating positive emotions on the cushion is not. You know, it's great if you can if you can be happy when you notice something, but actually sometimes it's going to be a distraction to really try to be happy when you notice something, right? Like, like you're already, you've already noticed it. You're already doing the right thing. You don't need a positive reinforcement at that point. So it's fine to not do any kind of positive reinforcement because the mere satisfaction of having done what, what you needed to do is its own reinforcement. Your, your mind doesn't require a feeling of pleasure to get positive reinforcement. Satisfaction is sufficient. Um, so that's one thing. The other thing is when you're sitting on the cushion, um, Chuladasa mentions this from time to time, and I think it's a really great thing to do. It's just like notice if it feels good. Like forget about your meditation practice, just like the physical act of sitting on the cushion. Does this feel good to you? If it doesn't feel good to you, that's actually not great, right? Like, like you know, it's not it's not the end of the world, but but it's not great if like when you sit down, it's not it's feeling uncomfortable or like you're not content to be there or something like that. So, so look into that. And if, if, if in fact you sit down and, and there's like a lot of pain and you're working, you're like fighting the pain or something like that, maybe it's time to like do a little bit of posture debugging. Um, but if on the other hand, when you sit down, you feel basically pretty comfortable, then just like go to that, like, like spend a little bit of time when you're doing the four, the four stage transition, just like noticing how good it feels or, you know, it doesn't have to feel amazingly good, but just however good it does feel, notice that. Um, notice where it feels good. Notice where, like, you know, there's a, there's a feeling of pleasure from just the, the, the fact that you're sitting. When I was, uh, I did a retreat with Chuladasa one winter. It was, a, I think we were, we did it over New Year's. And um, I remember just like getting up in the morning um, and this is, this is at Kochi Stronghold. So it's like, it was probably like 20 degrees outside or something like that. And going to the yurt and the yurt is like, you know, there's hardly any insulation. So you're basically sitting there in the yurt and there's a, um, there's a space heater and that's what keeps the yurt warm. So, so I would go and I would do the, the, the before the morning session session, which you're allowed to do, but isn't really required. Um, and I'd be the only one there. And I go in and it would be cold in the yard. It wouldn't be 20 degrees, but it would be quite cold. And uh, I would turn on the, the heater and then I would sit down and I would drape myself with, with blankets and it would be really cold. But the feeling of the cool air on my skin and the feeling of the 
warm blankets uh, became something that actually really, it was a pleasure to sit at that time of day just because of the feeling of being under the blankets. And so that's what I'm talking about. Like anything like that that you can access is, is a good thing to access. Um, I still, whenever I, whenever I sit and meditate, if I, if I have cold air on my face, it reminds me of that meditation retreat and makes me happy. <laughs> so. I think, uh, I mean, when I first started sitting, it was actually like extremely uncomfortable. <laughs> like yeah. the whole, basically the entire time yeah. I couldn't sit still. Yeah. And so now sometimes when I'm meditating, I'll think, wow, like I can't believe I can just sit still this long. Yeah. I'm kind of like writhing around like I'm in pain or something. Yep. But I can't say that it feels really comfortable. Mm-hmm. Maybe I need to try to find a more comfortable way to sit or something. I'm not sure. Cause I sit in a hard chair. Oh, um, well, yeah. I mean, you might want to experiment with, with putting a cushion down. Um, cause it's definitely, you, you don't want your, I mean, especially like if you're sitting for an hour on a wooden chair without moving, your butt's going to probably get a little sore. Um, so yeah, a little, a little, a little playing around with cushions couldn't hurt. Definitely meditation shouldn't be some form of torture. Um, but also, like, you know, the other thing to say about what you just said is, like, you, ha- you had this experience. Stop that, Jeff. <laughs> you had this experience of um, having meditation be really difficult, and you overcame it. And so one of the things that you can do, and this is a great thing to do if it works for you, is just notice that you've overcome it. Like, notice that now when you sit, that thing isn't happening anymore. It isn't that amazing. Um, the other thing is uh, a lot of times pain in sitting is actually the result of tensions coming up in the body. It's not because you're sitting in a bad posture. It's because there's some, uh, something is manifesting in the body as a result of your sitting practice. Um, and it can be fruitful sometimes to explore that um, and just see like, you know, what muscles in my body are tense right now. Um, and, and so, you know, you could think of that as a stage five body scan and it wouldn't be inappropriate, but, but you can also just do it as like, just out of curiosity, like what muscles in my body are tense right now. And then like, see if you can intend for them to relax and have them relax. And and you probably will find that you can't, um, and just like explore that tension, like, like the, 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 like there's a muscle that's tense. I want it to relax in principle. I'm in control of this muscle, but it's not relaxing. Why not? Um, and just like go down that little rabbit hole a ways and see if, see if, uh, I, I say this because at one point in my practice, I was kind of in the same place that you were, where I was able to sit and it was fine, but it was really not comfortable. And, um, I spent probably two or three weeks just exploring my body, uh, the way I just described, like noticing all of the places where my body was tense. And when I noticed the tension, trying to release it and over time, it actually really helped. Uh, it was definitely not something that worked the first time I did it, but but over time it really helped. And then I stopped doing it because I didn't need to anymore. And, and I still notice those kinds of things come up from time to time, but they're no longer continuous the way they were. Um, so you may get some value out of that. I, I I make no promises, but but give it a try and see what you find. And I had a, a second question about um, kind of verbalizing a lot during the sit, like kind of instructing myself and when I'm noticing distractions I just I feel like there's too much commentary but 
I also don't want to, I, I don't know how to get rid of it or that's the wrong word. I, I don't know how to uh, sit without verbalizing a lot of um, ideas that I'm having about the sit and commentary. Um, yeah. Does that make sense? It's kind of a vague question. Totally. But no, it's, it's uh, probably every single face that you see here has had that same experience, um, maybe to a different degree. But uh, yeah, the, the verbalization, I mean, what's actually, I think, going on is that, is that like thoughts are happening about the meditation and you're just in the habit of verbalizing your thoughts. And um, breaking that habit is not super important, actually. Um, it may seem like it is, but actually, actually, the, the thing to notice is that the, the thoughts themselves are the distractions, right? Like, if you need to think about your meditation practice, then obviously you should. But at some point, you'll realize that you're actually thinking about it more than you need to. And so you can, you can kind of notice those as distractions instead of noticing them as instructions. Do you see what I mean? Yes. Yeah. And then it does, the fact that they're being verbalized actually helps you to notice them. Like, like the, the challenge that you may face at some point is if the verbalization stops, but the thoughts don't, noticing that the thoughts are happening is a lot harder. So in a way, it's actually good that you're verbalizing them. And, and, and if you notice a drop off in, in the verbalization because the thoughts have dropped off, that's way better than the verbalization dropping off without the thoughts dropping off. So I shouldn't really focus on trying not to verbalize and more just noticing yeah. whether it's a distraction or not? Yeah, exactly. You probably find at some point that the verbalization drops on its own. So there, you really don't have to... Like, I mean, noticing that there's a problem is fine, but you don't, there's nothing you really need to do about it. Just, just like notice it. And at some point your unconscious mind will be like, huh, we could probably fix this. You know, let's see. I, I wondered, uh, because I, I tried to think about this topic while I was doing, you know, my work or other things I'm already good at. Mm -hmm. And I noticed that if something's easy, you know, the tasks I'm working on, I usually don't need to verbalize that much. Right. But if I'm working on something that's really a challenge, then I might start to verbalize my thought processes more. And I thought maybe that is happening in meditation because it's kind of a challenge and I need to verbalize just to, to work through it because it's not an unconscious yet. Exactly. Okay. Yep. Thank you. Yeah, that's a great observation. Uh, Andrea or, oh, uh, so, so Andrea, is it Andrea or Andrea? Yeah. Uh, Andrea. Oh, okay, great. Yeah. yeah, my wife is Andrea. So, and then Guido, uh, if you want, you can raise your hand by clicking on participants down down at the bottom. So go ahead, Andrea. Yeah, uh, maybe just some background first. I uh, meditated a few years sporadically with Headspace, mm -hmm. and um, I built lots of. I had problems with dullness and some per, uh, purifications, but didn't understand it and didn't know how to deal with it. And then uh, I built lots of resistance and stopped meditating. So now I'm meditating with the mind illuminated from the set, like the middle of the May. And I have two questions. The first one is what's the best way to go about being mind mindful throughout the day? So is it, um, can I use like, the mind illuminated system where I'm just aware of where my attention is moving and then using uh, the aha moment or checking in or something like that or maybe is it better to try some uh, see heal fear techniques from Shinzen or uh, maybe something else 
So uh, those are both good things to do. I mean, uh, I think that sometimes Shenzhen's uh, practices sort of assume that you've already developed a certain amount of introspective awareness. And uh, at this point, you probably have developed a certain amount of introspective awareness. So, so yeah, the, the, his, his techniques should work fine. Um, just doing using your introspective awareness to notice what's going on can also be helpful. And then um, I don't know if you noticed, but at the end of the Mind Illuminated, one of the appendices, there's a practice called the, the uh, um, this is funny, like I, it was right on the tip of my tongue and now it's, now it's vanished, but uh, the Mindful Review. Yeah, so, uh, so the Mindful review, review practice is another good thing to do. And the reason uh, that I mention it is, is so um, there's kind of a couple of ways that you can approach mindfulness. Um, in your daily life. One of them is to just be present in the current moment and just be noticing what's happening in a very unfiltered way. Um, and that's good. But one of the goals of mindfulness is actually also to be able to, to, uh, re to respond skillfully when things happen that maybe are challenging. So if you have anything challenging happening in your life on a regular basis, if there are any things that any behaviors that you have that you'd rather change, um, then, the mindful review practice is a, go a great way to just keep that sort of at, keep it on the agenda, keep it something that you're actually thinking about a little bit. Uh, and so you might do that practice once a day at the end of the day and just kind of notice like, what is it that I should specifically be looking for when I'm doing my mindfulness practice off the cushion tomorrow? Or in the morning, you might try and do the same thing. And uh, just allow that to inform your mindfulness practice a little bit. Um, but otherwise, what you said is 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 fine. The the the, the you know Shinzen Young's practices are very good for that, and just doing the the TMI practice will also work. Um, you might try doing the TMI walking meditation practice if it's if it's appropriate. Um, like if you're moving from one place to another and you don't have any agenda, then the walking meditation practice is a really nice way to to generate some some situational you know some mindfulness that has to do with where you are right now. Uh, yeah, Gilbert, yeah. did you, sorry. Uh -huh. um, well, I, sorry. There's yes. also the four, four stage transition and you can kind of use that because uh, it, it's a little bit easier to jump into. First step is of course, focus, to focus on the present. Uh, step two is, uh, you know, being aware of your body. And you can even just doing any one of those two is going to be good for increasing your base level of mindfulness or, or, or the third or the fourth um, sort of step. And the, and the purpose of it, of course, is like to have something to kind of to anchor to, to practice anchoring to in the present moment, as opposed to without meditation, you're just kind of scattered and, and just all over the place. Okay, Jenna. thank you. Um, I have another question about the Shinzen's techniques, if anybody knows. I've read that they've been derived from Hasi noting and um, I'm not sure if I want to do any noting or insight practices before I'm ready. So are they safe to use like in everyday life or? Well, so that's a, that's a great question. And one of the things that I didn't say earlier, cause I wasn't sure exactly where you were coming from is um, the, 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 the mindfulness practice off the cushion. Um, it's a lot like to do that all day, every day is a lot. And it's not necessarily the right thing to do all the time. 
Um, I see people ask questions about this on the on the TMI subreddit, um, where they're just trying to be essentially practicing mindfulness 24 hours a day. And, um, you know, if, 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 if that's working for you, that's great, but you're right. There is a, there is a, a potential for it to, to accelerate you a little bit too rapidly towards, um, insight. And, uh, so, so, you know, I think one of the reasons why Chula Dasa doesn't specifically mention that as a practice is because, he's taking a slightly slower approach, which is the mindful review, where basically with the mindful review, you just sit down and you might do it more than once a day. Uh, you just sit down and think about what's been going on. And then what happens is that that causes your unconscious mind to have that as something that's on the agenda. Like I'm going to, the unconscious mind, some part of it is thinking, I'm going to pay attention to what's going on more than I have been in the past. And so it's a very gradual process instead of like this insistent, like let me try to be, present in the current moment all the time kind of practice. And so, so yeah, finding a balance there is, is definitely a good idea. Um, I wouldn't say don't do the practices, but just don't, don't go nuts with them. Okay. Uh, thank you. Well, I have one more question. So I'm meditating at stage four right now mm -hmm. and I'm dealing with some involuntary uh, body movements. Like my head is really twitching and moving around. And I'm wondering how to best deal with that because I don't have any resistance to it, but uh, I ha it's very hard to concentrate on the breath if my head is moving all over the place. So mm -hmm. I'm wondering maybe how to deal with that. So it's a distraction, right? Um, and, and so you treat it the same way you would treat any distraction. See if you can, see if you can keep moving your attention back to the breath. Um, don't, I mean, you, it's probably not a good idea to try to stop it. Um, it's totally okay when it happens to move back. Like, like um, my wife, Andrea, used to have this thing where her head would slowly do this. And she actually asked Chula Dasa, what should I do when my head is over here? And he said, oh, you can just turn it back to the center. It's fine. <laughs> so, so feel free to adjust. But, um, but if you try to stop the, 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 uh, the body movements, it's probably not going to help. So, so it's better to just treat them as like, you know, like if there was a truck driving by, that would be distracting and it might be hard to focus on the breath, but you basically just deal with it. What else are you going to do? Um, okay. Thank you. And uh, Sam is, a, oh, actually Sam is here, but Sam, Sam mentioned something which I found uh, really interesting, which is he said that he felt like um, at one point when he was going through this, that there was some kind of subtle resistance that was actually making it worse. And so, so you might try just asking yourself, am I resisting this? Don't, don't try to answer the question because it'll be way too subtle for you to get an answer. But, uh, but just ask the question because that'll trigger your unconscious mind to go ask the question in a more deep way. And you may find that, that actually something releases from doing that. Yes, I was actually um, trying to be conscious if there's any tension anywhere. Uh -huh. And I noticed that after like it, the movements usually starts 10 minutes in and last around 15 minutes and then and it's quite blissful actually but after that there are usually some negative feelings that surface so mm -hmm. maybe it's uh, the result of some purifications or something. yes yeah that's very likely <laughs> okay thank you cool uh, 
I wonder if we could go backwards for to the first question for a minute mm -hmm. about mindfulness in daily life. Yeah. Uh, I was wondering, is it recommended to uh, be using, because what I've been doing is, for example, if I'm reading a book or studying or something which requires focus, I do try to notice when I'm distracted and losing my mind up from the task and try to bring it back. But I don't try to uh, use a lot of the other practices like keeping more stuff in peripheral awareness because I'm kind of using it as an opportunity to focus. Yep. Uh, I wonder, should we be doing the, the, the other kind of practices more often? Or like, I feel like there's a limit on how much you can do in a day as yep. far as concentration goes. Well, if you're if you're doing it uh, if you're doing it uh, very much with the sort of intend release notify loop uh, process, do you know what I'm talking about when I say that? Can you uh, just clarify real fast? Yeah, so I wrote a blog post about this. But basically, the intend release notify loop is that you intend to do something and then you just let go. You just surrender, and then you just notice. No, did I say notify? Intend release notice. Um, so so you intend to do something. You let go. And then you notice what happens. So, and it, what what will happen is is you'll so so say you intend to be reading the book, and uh, you so you set that intention, and then you let go and you just read the book. And at some point, you may notice that you become distracted. Uh, and that's so that's the notice part, right? Um, and when you notice, you kind of ask yourself like, what went wrong? And then just try to adjust your, attention, your intention a little bit and then go back to reading the book. Um, and if you do that, uh, what's nice about that is it's pretty low key, right? You're not like trying to like stay on the book no matter what. You're just kind of like <laughs> gonna notice when you, when you miss it. And, and, but, but, but adding that little intend release notify loop and not just sort of letting go completely um, gives you like a middle ground between like trying really hard to stay on the book and not trying at all. Um, and that, for me at least, tends to be a lot less tiring than really trying to focus. Do you see what I mean? Yeah. 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 So, so, uh, so if you can, uh, if you can, if you can kind of do that sort of loose following, uh, you may find that you can do it more than you would be able to do if you were doing, uh, really, really very strong, intentional staying on the book until you just, until you're, you get tired. And, and you, you might be able to sustain that for more of the day. And the other thing is what you'll find is that essentially everything, the whole point of the intend release notice, thank you, Gilbert Loop, is to develop habits. So ultimately what you're trying to do is not always be doing intend release notice, but rather do intend release notice until whatever behavior it is that you're trying to train yourself to do becomes automatic, at which point you don't have to think about it at all. Or if you do have to think about it, it's just every so often and not, not continuously. Okay. Thank you. Sure. Uh, so, um, I, can you hear me, Ted? Okay. My mic's back. Yeah. I just had two quick follow-ups for Jeffrey <clears throat> that I meant to say until now. Uh, so first one, uh, the, sitting and not finding any like pleasant sensations and having it be like utterly neutral. <clears throat> I was in the same place for a long time. And what helped for me was really searching in like fine detail, looking for like small areas that 
felt like even slightly more than neutral, like a little bit better. So I noticed, for example, like my feet often have like a kind of energetic feeling that's really subtle, but feels kind of nice. My back often feels kind of warm. Uh, and like those two and one other were all I could find. But uh, just bringing those to attention regularly when I sat down, when I was doing my four-step transition, kind of just sitting on those sensations instead of the other ones, like just kind of preferring them a little bit in my attention. Um, it really slow, slowly like shifted my sits uh, just like I associate now sitting with like a pleasant physical activity. Whereas for, for many months, it was just a totally neutral activity. And then like you, same experience as you before that, it was a painful activity. Um, oh yeah, the other thing was um, about the, the dialogue and the, um, it's like endless monologue of that's assessing the sit and uh, talking about what you're gonna do in the sit. I had this for a long time too. One thing I noticed that I, it took me a long time to notice that I was doing was uh, I was actually allowing myself to have certain distractions. Like some distractions were like somehow above the other distractions. And like those ones were okay because they were extra important. Um, it took me a while to be able to realize I was doing that and then to really like accept that I shouldn't be verbalizing really almost any instructions out loud to myself. Like I know the instructions, they don't need to be verbalized. Um, so maybe look out for that in yourself, whether you're, you're secretly kind of okay with some distractions. I found that that just like gave me the permission to always be verbalizing stuff. And when I, when I didn't do that anymore, most of the verbalization calmed down. Well, what I noticed is that no matter how benign the verbalization is, it can lead into like gross distraction. Because even if you're, uh, even if it's just, talking about the present moment of meditating and instructions that can lead into planning how you're going to meditate differently next time or something like that. And then you're just, you're gone. So it's, that's why I've kind of thought, okay, this is something that I need to at least keep an eye on and not, not let these verbalizations like carry me away from the, the sit. Yeah, I had a similar experience. Once the verbalization starts, it, uh, it snowballs really fast. Cool. Thanks, Schultz. Um, so I believe uh, Guido was next. Hi. Hi. Can you hear me? Yes. OK, great. Um, I started meditating uh, around uh, the end of December 2013 and uh, I think I did, uh, I, I followed the and I think I uh, had great progress until about May of the next year uh, when I reached stage uh, five. Uh, then it took quite a while to get to stage six, uh, which I got to around November uh, last year. Um, and I, 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 one of the things that confirms the, the progress for me is that the hindrances dropped uh, dramatically. So, uh, and actually some aspects of my life became so much easier. Uh, and I discovered like uh, that life could be very, very different. I, I didn't expect that uh, that change was possible. So it was uh, quite amazing. And uh, overcoming subtle uh, dullness was 
are uh, really, really a challenge. And, uh, but then in November, I changed jobs. And uh, so my meditation schedule became, became very complicated. I started meditating uh, in the evenings. I was really tired. So dullness came back. And uh, now uh, I also uh, went and I'm going through a very stressful period at work. And I took care, I, I got assigned a project that was very, very important and was very uh, late behind schedule and had a lot of problems. So uh, it was, it has been very difficult. And I find that my meditation has uh, regressed to stage two to three uh, around that. And it took quite a while to realize that was happening and to maybe accept the fact that I am now in stage two and sometimes stage three. Um, so I just was just wondering what you could, uh, uh, and what advice you could give me or, or how I could, uh, I have realized also the hypnosis have, have become, have come back a little bit. Uh, aversion is very, very strong. And I find myself many times at work dreading to go to work or uh, just feeling very bad about the position I'm, I'm in. So uh, whatever advice you, you could give me, it would be greatly appreciated. It's funny that you ended where you did because that was actually what I was going to ask you about. Um, the aversion that you're experiencing at work is actually the thing that I would say is the, probably the most fruitful place for you to direct your practice right now. This is, this. I'm, to be clear, I'm just theorizing. You, you should try this and see if it helps you. But um, that aversion, uh, if, you, if you hold that aversion all day, it's going to really wreck your practice at the end of the day. Um, and furthermore, as I'm sure you're painfully aware, the aversion is not helping you at all, right? Like yes. it, doesn't, it doesn't do you any good to, to not want to go to work. So, um, so one thing that you can try to do is see that aversion as a purification, not as uh, a truth. Do you see what I mean? Like it's just something that's coming up. It's not true that there is something you need to avoid it's just that you, there is a mental habit that is being triggered regularly that is making you want to not do the work or not go to work or whatever. Um, and just see if you can, when you notice it, just try to sensitize yourself to it. So whenever you notice the aversion coming up, uh, try to notice it as quickly as you can, first of all. Don't, don't like go crazy about it. Just do the same old mind, mind eliminated techniques of like, you know, uh, you know, intending not to have aversion, and then uh, noticing when aversion happens. When you notice that aversion has happened, treat it like you would treat any other distraction. Um, here, like if you're going to work, just try to move your attention back to what you're doing. You're, I'm going to work now. Like, okay, aversion has come up, but I'm going to work now. And just don't try to stop the aversion, but just notice that the aversion has happened and don't let it be central. Let it let it just be a distraction and go back to, to, to whatever it is you intend to do. Um, you may find uh, that the meditation techniques that you became skilled at um, start to resurface when you do this. Uh, and I mean, it, it's hard to know for sure, but, but uh, 
give it a try and see what happens. Um, the reason that, that this is important is because um, the version that you're experiencing at work, not only is it probably affecting your experience on the cushion afterwards, but it's also a real waste of time. And actually it helps to like recognize what a waste of time it is because then you've got some strong motivation to get over it because it's like, it's not like the work is going to go away if you avoid it, right? Like it's still going to be there. You can't avoid it. But if you, if you're feeling aversion all the time, it's going to be very hard to make any forward progress at all. And yes, uh, and I'm, yeah. I'm not having a, a, a very bad time also just because yeah. of it. So I've, right. I, I think I'm aware of that and it's, uh, yeah. it's difficult it's very difficult to, to, to change. Yeah, so the other thing that you can do um, is try to, one of the things that happens with aversion is it's not so much that the aversion is powerful, it's just there, it's a habit. Um, but the, uh, the, the desire to do the thing is not strong. Um, and so one of the knobs that you can turn there, one of the things you can change is uh, try to recall who's gonna benefit from it. Um, and it doesn't have to be like, you know, you're saving someone's life or something like that. It's just there's somebody who wants you to get this work done, right? Um, and just like try to keep in mind how they're going to feel when they see progress happening. So, so like, you know, and it, if you have kind of a jerk of a boss, that's not as easy. But uh, I don't know what your situation is at work, so hopefully it's not that bad. But, uh, but whoever it is, even if it is, even if your boss is a jerk, like, They'd really like to see forward progress. They'd really like to see problems solved. They'd like to see you happy. All of these things would be pleasant for them because you being, it's not that they want you to be happy, but you being happy is good for them. So, um, so if you can try to externalize, move your motivation out of here and into what uh, the people that you're working for want um, and make, make your work then be a practice of generosity instead of just what you have to do today. Um, then that can be, that can really help. Yeah, that sounds very helpful. Thank you. Sure. Can I follow up and ask a question on that, Ted? Yeah. Uh, facing the similar pro, well, not necessarily exactly the same problem as Guido is, but what I notice in daily life, when mm -hmm. the question kind of arises, when it, where is the line between, okay, you're having aversion and there's no reason to have a version or it's not doing anything for you and um, unhealthy situations that you should not be in anymore. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm sure that this is something that maybe a lot of people start to wonder is, is it me that's the problem or is it the, <laughs> is it the situation that's the problem or where's the, where's the line where it's, this is, this is, you know, the human being should not be in that situation anyway. And you should not try to, uh, just give up and surrender and go into resistance or give up resistance to that. Well, if you ask me in my particular situation, uh, I don't have a shady boss, but my boss is very nice. And it's just that the situation I, I am in is very complex. And I think if I overcome it, I am, and if I am able to do a good job, I'm going to benefit from it. I'm going to learn, I'm going to develop some skills, I'm going to be more resilient. So uh, I don't see it as a, as a bad situation. And I, uh, I, I also, I've thought about changing jobs, but I think it's going to be better for me if I don't, if I just ride the wave uh, and, and try to do my best 
uh, about it. Yeah. So I wonder if I can say something. Mm -hmm. uh, <clears throat> one thing that helps me out in this kind of situation is I do just think of um, like what are the benefits of the aversion? What are the like what can I actually do? Um, if I just stop, is that a way out of the situation or um, is there really nothing I can do so I have to make the best out of it? I try to like see what my options actually are and see if I have options and then um, it doesn't feel like you're so helpless in the situation. Yep. Because if you frame it as, you know, this is an insurmountable task and I'm stuck here and there's nothing I can do about it, then you, you get stuck in this feedback loop where like you're, you feel trapped and helpless. Whereas really, I mean, there is something you could do. It might be quitting, you know, that might not be a good option, but it's, I, to me, it helps to think like, what are actually the options and why am I continuing on the path that I'm continuing? And, you know, yep. I, so I don't know if that's helpful, but that's just what I do in, in similar situations. Yeah, it's really good advice. I mean, it's it's actually it's sort of paraphrasing what uh, Master Shanti Davis says in the Guide to the Bodhisattva's Way of Life, which is that um, you know you have uh, a situation before you, and either it's a situation that you can do something about, or it's a situation that you can do nothing about. Those are really the only two th possibilities. If it's a situation that you can do something about, do it. If it's a situation that you can do nothing about, Stop worrying about it. Like, just just get on with it, right? Because it's not going to help you to fight it. And so really the crux of it is just figuring out which of those it is. I think it's also in the serenity prayer, right? Like, God grant me the, the uh, wisdom to see, I can't remember, like, to, to, to see what I can change and what I can. And uh, sorry, the, anyway, yeah. So uh, I think uh, it's, a, it's a common theme, but... Um, uh, you know, if you're in an abusive situation, you certainly shouldn't stay in it. Um, and, uh, on the other hand, if you're in a situation where there's somebody who's behaving in a way that isn't very constructive, um, sometimes the best thing you can do in that situation is to actually, um, try to be their friend, even though they're not really being very friendly. Um, and often that will actually break things loose. Uh, you, you may find that if you just develop, if you get to the point where they see you as somebody who's on their side, uh, then things will soften and there will suddenly be an opportunity to, for things to get better where there wasn't before. It doesn't always work, but it's worth trying if, if you're in a situation where you don't really have a choice anyway. Thank you, Sam. Really good. Uh, intention. So I think uh, I'm going to, I don't remember whether Colin or Aditya uh, raised their hand first, but I'm going to let Colin go first because he hasn't gone yet, if that's all right. Hello. Hi. So um, I guess I'm uh, having a question on a similar theme about um, pleasure in, uh, in sits. Mine's a bit opposite because um, I'm going through, I guess, You'd call my you'd call it insight cycle my second time around, and I'm going through a period of dryness. 
I guess, which is something I've noticed that I think was mentioned in stage seven in uh, TMI. And um, I don't know if you have any thoughts about that. Like I sort of, I have, know that I have access to the body scan and certain sensations, but things have a lot of sameness to them right now. And mm -hmm. I go and I sit, this feels sort of like a habit and I sit and it's all very dry and there's these, what seems like sort of an unstable nimit, I think you'd call it, yeah. weird. but everything just feels very dry. Mm -hmm. But no, I should, if I should go back and try and recapture that pleasure, because TMI seems to focus a lot on cultivating pleasure, but I don't know. I'm not, I'm not sure. Well, so one question to ask is uh, let's, let's, let's conjecture for a moment that you're at stage seven. Sure. Um, are you releasing effort? Um, it feels like it. Yeah. It feels um, like I, well, I guess I would say it feels like I have less control mm -hmm. than I thought I had previously. That's sort of a continually, co continuously uh, evolving sensation that I, I'm not necessarily in control. Mm -hmm. I guess is how I would uh, answer that. So it might be worth exploring whether there's anything further to let go of, because even if you feel like you're not in control, you might still, there might still be some residual trying to control going on. Yeah, well, that's definitely part of it. I'm, um, I'm allowing myself to, uh, to express certain emotions, which I've sort of been not quite exploring for quite some time. Mm -hmm. So I think there's definitely a, an aspect to that. When you express those emotions, does that feel dry? Yeah, they're definitely being repressed still. Um, mm. So they they pop up, and then mm. um, I notice the rational mind come and do this thing, where it, and then it goes away. <laughs> so oh, yeah. okay, that's interesting. So um, it might be interesting to see if, like, imagine if, imagine your meditation is like a uh, uh, you know those little like like seismometer tapes that are going by. Like, imagine that the seismometer tape is going by and it's kind of flat and then there's like this emotion happening and then mm. it goes by. See if you can swipe the tape back a little bit and get the emotion right here. Um, okay. And even if you can't succeed in doing that, intending to do that may actually have an effect over time. Um, okay. Because a lot of times what will happen is it's like, it's like you're in a car and you're driving along and you're seeing sights go by and you see something really beautiful and you know, but you've got to get to wherever it is you're going. And so you keep driving. Mm. So, so it may be that it's worth actually trying to stop driving at that point and go back and pull mm. off onto that overlook and see what you can see. All right. Yeah. Cause I'm working. Well, I'm, my intention is always to stay right in that space. And I keep noticing subtler and subtler and subtler details in that little mm. fine microscopic state of now. Yeah. So that, that could be interesting. Yeah, I mean, it may be that what you're doing is exactly the right thing, and you just need to endure the dryness for a while. But, but the reason I mention this is because I've, you know, what you're describing sounds a little bit like stage seven purifications. Yeah, and, I, I think so. Yeah, and if that's what's happening, then what you don't want is for the the sort of what you described as the rational mind to just like suppress the purification because that's that's yeah. not helping you. Yeah. Yeah. So. Okay. Um. One quick other thing, which I was curious about, which I think I read that you wrote about, so maybe I'm misquoting you. You said, I believe, that at a more or recently or at a certain point, you've um, 
come away from more of a, an R stream entry mindset and you're moving towards an R awakened mindset, which uh -huh. is something that, um, if that's accurate, that's struck me as, um, as a very rational minded person um, that, that struck something with me. I'm, I'm curious if you, if that's accurate, an accurate statement or what, if you have any thoughts on that? Um, well, so I'm trying to think about what I might've meant by that. Uh, one of the challenges that I've had with our stream entry is that there's a tendency to, oh, I think I know exactly what it is actually. Yeah. There's a tendency on our stream entry to um, hear about uh, experiences that might've been insight and to say, no, that definitely wasn't insight or that probably wasn't insight. You should probably assume that that wasn't insight. Um, and uh, actually there was a discussion that, that uh, I think got referenced a bit on, um, on RTMI uh, that uh, was with Daniel Ingram. And Daniel does that. He's, he's, he's really into gatekeeping, right? Like, like yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And um, I actually have come to the conclusion over time that that is actually harmful. It's not, it's not yeah. just neutral, it's harmful. Um, and the reason I say that is because if you think about Chuladasa's mind model, um, what's going on in Chuladasa's mind model, which I think is a good model, I mean, I'm not saying it's exactly what's happening, but it's a good model. Uh, what's going on in Chuladasa's mind model is that your mind is not unified at the beginning of the practice, and it becomes more unified over the course of the practice. And when you're getting to stage seven, you're really working on unification, right? But um, for most people, as they're going through this process, uh, the mind is not really unified. And so an insight experience that occurs, say, when you're at stage four, you could have a, a real insight experience at stage four, but your mind won't be unified. And so it won't be the case that the whole mind believes that insight, right? And so what you don't want to do if you have an insight experience at that point is you don't want to tell the parts of the mind that don't believe it, yeah, it was an insight, <laughs> right? <laughs> That's not helping. Right. What you really yeah. want is 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 to allow like think of it as like like, you know, you've got you're trying to light a campfire and you set up all of this kindling and now you've got your bow and you're using friction to, to like try to get the, you know, to get a spark to go. Right. And you've got a spark to go. And then you're like, no, no, that's not a whole fire. I'd better blow it out. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> now, to me, that's the that's the thing that I that I'm. I'm not saying that they all, that this always happens on our stream entry, but it is a tendency. No, that that's something that I definitely noticed because I I had no idea what stream entry was. I had this thing that happens, and I mm. went around going saying, "What's this thing?" I had this thing that happened. There was a lot of that gatekeeping stuff. Yeah, yeah. And I just I yeah invented this story, and then the second time came around, and I had a lot more um, introspective awareness the second time around. Yeah. And I realized it was the same as the first time, but I was able to be aware of um, the, 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 the story that my mind was constructing around the experience it had nothing to do with what was happening at the moment. Yep. And um, I, since then I've really moved away from these hard, like I call this thing a dark night because I read about this thing that's called a dark night, but I realized it has nothing to do with what happened. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. So uh, yeah. I think that exactly is exactly where I, I've, I'm heading as well. So that's uh, it's very interesting. Yeah. The thing I like about our awakened is it's like if somebody comes along and says I'm awakened, you know, there was some gatekeeping at the beginning when I started participating, but over time uh, the moderators really tamped that out. And now if somebody comes yeah. along and says I'm awakened, then the question is like, well, tell me what that's like. 
And yeah, then, what's that like for you? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then we just try to help them with whatever it is they're experiencing. And it doesn't matter whether whether we agree that they're awakened or not. What matters is can we help them? Yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. I'm I'm still in the Buddhist sort of mindset, but I have friends who are into shamanism and all this other stuff. It's like, okay, what's what's awakening to you? What does that mean to you? And it's yeah. a lot more positive and interesting and a lot less. Yeah. Yeah, yeah and <laughs> I mean, ultimately, what we're trying to do is is overcome suffering, right? like yeah. to not to not suffer needlessly at least and yeah however we succeed in doing that is good hmm. great thanks yeah thank you good questions um so aditya let's uh let's answer your, or try try your question sure uh, so just to give you a background which will be the build-up to my question uh, i came to tmi uh, a couple of months ago but uh, i've been practicing concentration uh, using the breath, using the body, various different objects for quite a long period of time. Uh, and over a very long period of time, I trained myself to get into the stages of dhyana. Jhana. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, now the thing is, uh, in, in daily life, uh, I, I had to step down on concentration practice because I had a huge problem with pity. Um, with pity. 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 Uh, Meditative joy. Sorry, yep, yep, yep. my pronunciation. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, if if I were trying to fill my tax returns and paying sufficient attention to it, uh, I would start experiencing orgasmic delight. Uh, and this is not a very workable situation. No. Uh, now it's happening again because I have taken up PMI. I mean, I just stopped doing concentration practice for quite some time, but this has started happening again. Mm -hmm. For example, even while I'm listening to people talk here, I'm deliberately keeping myself diffused. You know, I'm not focusing. Mm -hmm. uh, so what is the solution to this problem? Uh, or will this just work itself out? Well, I'm not, I haven't had this experience, so I can't speak from experience. Um, one question that I have for you is, uh, have you, you, you say that you've gone through Jhana experiences. Have you gone through the the uh, the jhanas, the four the the four jhanas that Chuladasa talks about, the the uh, the four pleasure jhanas, where the first one is really like, and then the next one is more tranquil, and it gets more tranquil. You know, you get to a point of equanimity. Uh, yeah. So uh, I can access uh, uh, jhana number five, uh, which is the the Sapramandin jhana is what I believe it's called. Uh, and not beyond that, because I just don't, don't understand that territory at all. Mm -hmm. uh, but the base of infinite space is where I can reach. Uh, mm -hmm. That it, It's something that I taught myself by reading uh, Lee Brasington mm -hmm. uh, and experimenting a lot and many, many hours on the cushion. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's, uh, its impact is such that uh, I, I really have to keep concentration practice uh, um, in control, I, I cannot do too much of it, uh, but I do I do want to reach stage ten as defined by Kuldas uh, in TMI. Yeah. So <clears throat> the reason I was asking about the first four jhanas is because of the progression from from rough pity to equanimity. Um, so so you say that you can do jhana number five, but can you do one through four? Yes. Yes, I can. It, All right. It, it, so progression. Yeah. And and. Uh, when you get to the fourth jhana, is your experience still like overwhelming or is it tranquil? It's completely tranquil. Okay. Uh, so, is, um, yeah. 
So the reason I'm asking about this is because uh, what you probably need to have happen, because it's not bad for you to be feeling tranquility while you're doing your tax returns, right? The problem is when you're feeling first jhana while you're doing yes. your tax returns. Yes, that's so, a problem. So maybe what you need to do is actually do your tax returns, allow that experience to happen, and see if you can just keep doing your tax returns or whatever it is. I mean, it doesn't have to be tax returns, but keep doing whatever it is, um, even though you're experiencing this bliss uh, that's, that's kind of uncontrolled, and see if you can continue doing that until you reach equanimity. Because yeah. if you do that, and then you start to habituate yourself to the state of equ equanimous yeah. PT, um, then uh, in principle, then you can be in a state of perfect equanimity and joy while you're doing your tax returns. Yeah. And wouldn't that be nice? And yeah. more importantly, you can get past this obstacle because, you know, obviously, you know, it would be nice if you were, if you were able to just go through your day in a state of, of tranquility where, uh, uh, or, or, or uh, equanimity where, um, you know, when something comes up, you're just present for it. You don't, it's not bad. It's not good. You're just present for it. That's a good result. That's, that's a state of mindfulness that you would like to be able to cultivate. So yeah. you'd like to get past this point where everything's sort of like, ah, um, and you just, I think you, I think you may just need to make a practice of it. Like, like find some situations where it's okay to go a little off the deep end, to get a little yeah. bit crazy, uh, while you're, while you're concentrating and, and try to go all the way through it until you get to tranquility and equanimity. Sure. I'll try that. Okay. Uh, James, I think it's finally your turn. <laughs> Thanks, Tim. Hey, everybody. Um, you, can, you can hear me okay? Yep. Okay, cool. We've got fans and doors open at the moment because it's a as high house as it gets in the UK at the moment. Um, so if you remember last week, we were talking about um, some perceived challenges I was having with scanning before I had sufficient energy levels and um, kind of concluded that it's perfectly fine for me to do whatever it takes to raise up some energy uh, before doing the body scan. So that's what I've been playing with for the last week and really I just wanted to check that I was kind of on the right track with something as I feel it goes during my sits and so at the moment it kind of feels like it's a bit of a, a juggling act between times when I have high energy and previously I would have considered that kind of agitated mind state, but I've now recognized that it's not necessarily agitated. It's just kind of a high energy mind state where then I will try and apply a little bit more uh, effort to keeping attention on the breath until things kind of come down. And then I usually go a little bit too far and things, the energy decreases quite a bit. And then, dullness seems to take over and then so I'll do something uh, one of maybe three or four things to bring the energy back up and then I feel a little bit more agitated and then I increase focus on the on the breath and it, it feels like kind of iterative cycles of, of that process is um, that sort of make sense with people yeah the thing that the thing that you said that I'm a little bit skeptical of is um, that it sounds like when you're trying to focus, that's actually bringing your energy level back down a little bit. And that's not really what you want. Um, what you actually want is to learn how to stay, how to maintain attentional stability when you have very high energy. 
Um, so, so uh, in other words, if, if when you try to, to concentrate on the breath, that brings your energy level down, that's not the outcome you're trying, that's not the outcome you need. Um, so, so, and I don't know, that was a, I'm basically extrapolating from like two words, so I may have it wrong, but, uh, but that's something I would look for is, uh, and the other thing is, um, beware of the term concentration or, or, uh, trying, um, what you, what you, what you need to do in order to get successfully past all of this is to be able to have that balance happen very freely and naturally without a lot of effort or, uh, you know, so rather than thinking of it as focus, maybe think of it as a filter. So, so the filter is just only allowing things into attention that are, um, that are what you intend to be in attention. And uh, it's not so much that you're focused because everything else is still going on. It's just that all that's happening in attention is the breath. Um, so, so you might play around with, with treating it as a filter instead of as a focus and see if that changes your relationship to it and changes. Cause one of the things about treating it as a focus is that does tend to uh, collapse awareness and, and, and that brings your mental energy level down and then you wind up in dullness. And, and so that whole thing, that whole process starts with focus. So if you can avoid the focus and just do the, Filter. So focus is probably not the, the most accurate word to use. So prior to this point, the way that I dealt with gross distractions was by a process that, that I could best describe as kind of letting go. Mm -hmm. um, and I didn't feel that that was helping with, I felt like that was feeding into a kind of a lower energy level, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, so now I feel like what I'm doing is kind of a balancing between that letting go process of an active gross distraction, for instance, and mm -hmm. reinforcing the intention to um, at least notice detail in the breath. Mm -hmm. When I'm when I'm when I'm trying to increase attention on the breath, what I'm doing is trying to intend to feel parts of the breath that previously I don't feel very distinctly. Mm -hmm. For instance, the transition between in and out and that mm -hmm. very subtle, almost kind of flipping sensation that I can sometimes feel when I've got um, good attention and um, high energy, if mm -hmm. that makes sense. Um, I don't have a problem. I don't think I have a problem with collapsing peripheral awareness. I'm aware of, of sights and well, sounds around me and bodily sensations to a limited extent as, mm -hmm. as as I normally have as in terms of body sensations um, and I feel like it's uh, it's that balancing act between doing what I was doing previously which was just kind of letting go but not necessarily increasing the intention to remain with the breath does that make sense yeah so uh, it, it does make sense two things to point out here about peripheral awareness um, you can have peripheral awareness collapse quite a bit before uh, you stop being aware, for example, that there are birds chirping. Um, what happens is that you're aware that the birds are chirping, but there's not a whole lot of detail. And maybe there are fewer things happening in awareness, but there's still, you're still, things are happening in awareness. So you can, you have to be careful not to be just satisfied that things are happening in awareness. It needs to be 
to a certain level of detail. Um, and and so, so once you get to the point where awareness isn't collapsing completely, there are still ways that it can collapse that aren't as easy to detect. Uh, so, so that's one thing to watch out for. Um, and then uh, as far as the, the breath goes, um, I'd be curious, um, I'm not saying you're wrong, but I'd be curious to know exactly what it is that you're noticing that feels like it's the, the, the transition from the in-breath to the out-breath. Not because you shouldn't be noticing it necessarily, but because um, if, you're, if your only focus, if, if the only sensations that you're actually paying attention to are sensations in the nose, um, then the only sensation that would be a transition from in-breath to out-breath would be the flexing of the surface of the nose. Um, like anything else that seems like it's a transition from in to out is probably something that's not happening in the nose. Um, the, the way I've probably conceptualized it to myself is hair. The, the sensation on the hairs of my, my ever increasingly hairy nostrils. <laughs> Having said that, I don't feel like I um, can identify multiple sensations associated with the breath. And, and mm -hmm. to a question that pops up quite regularly, um, how many sensations am I supposed to um, be able to feel? Mm -hmm. I don't feel like I can, I can feel numerous sensations. Um, I know when the breath is coming in and when the breath is going out. Mm -hmm. um, but I don't, for instance, feel difference in temperature. Mm. Um, there's probably a, 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 a change in pressure, but it's very subtle. Um, either that or the change in pressure is very obvious, and I am I'm constructing the idea of hair flowing in the wind. Yeah. Um, that sensation. Yeah. So, so what you're describing sounds like it's still fairly conceptual. And one of the things that, that should happen in the course of doing stage five is that it becomes more uh, detail and less concept. Um, so, uh, so I would suggest that um, based on what you've been saying thus far, uh, you might want to try actually doing a little bit of um, a little bit of body scanning. Uh, when you get to the point where you're where you're trying to figure out where, where you're noticing the in and the out breath and the the, the flipping, um, at that point, just do a very quick body scan. It doesn't have to be your whole body, but just like find some body part and just like try to find as much sensation as you can in that body part. Don't push at it. Try to be receptive. Just let the sensations come to you and see how much can come. Uh, also, like. If you notice like prickling sensations and stuff like that, have a definite intention to allow those and welcome them as opposed to trying to, because they're uncomfortable, right? So there'll be a tendency to want to push them away. Have an intention to allow them to come up because they will come up when you do the body scan well. Um, and that's okay. Uh, and the reason I say this is because the degree of detail that you're describing in the breath is not very much. And I think what you'll find is if you do the body scan uh, at the point where you've got that degree of detail, if you, if you, if you stop and do a body scan um, and then go back to the breath, I think you'll probably notice a lot more detail. And so that can really help you to get a, a feel for what it is that you're, you're trying to do. Because before you, 
before you felt that, then having an intention to get more detail is, is pretty vague and it might not work. Awesome. Cool. Thank you. Yeah. Um, okay, so we're at 11.19, so we usually go to uh, somewhere around this between an hour and 20 and an hour and a half. So if anybody else has anything they want to raise, there's still time. Ah. Hey, how's it going? Hey. Hey, um, so I have a couple questions about eyes and like eye movement and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So um, my memory of like when I have like the best stable attention, it's like kind of identified with like eye movement like reduced mm -hmm. or like relaxed and like very stable and like the tension is gone. So like recently I've been kind of just being more aware of that. And like someone pointed out to me that like, like right, like here it was like really tense. And like I did a me like one meditation session and just was aware of it. And it was like a huge relief. Uh -huh. So anyways, so uh, uh, kind of a, along those lines, um, whenever I'm doing like the body scan, like how do you keep your like eyes from like, you know, moving like kind of tensely, like kind of trying to follow geographically where you're, where you're following. Yep. So um, you, you can't. Um, what, you, what you mostly need to do uh, is just notice that that's happening and form an intention to let go of it. Um, also, what I was saying to James earlier about uh, being receptive as opposed to pushing towards. So rather than um, rather than like trying to push your attention into your shoulder, for example, uh, just try to be where you are and allow the shoulder to speak to you, allow the sensation of the shoulder to come to you. Um, you may find that that helps a little bit. Um, you can deliberately look away while doing that. Um, just as a practice to, to kind of break the connection. Um, and, and I've done that in the past and I think that's fruitful. Um, but trying to really, you, you don't want to be in a position where you're actually really controlling where the eyes are pointing because that's, that's really, you know, like as you were saying, that relief you were experiencing was because you'd stopped doing that a little bit. Um, and so the more you can stop doing that, the better. Um, so, so yeah, uh, you, you can you can try to deliberately hold the eyes stable while you're doing a scan just just to to break that but ultimately you don't want to do that you just want to let go of it completely and let the eyes go wherever they want to go and at some point um, if you find the eyes are constantly going there regardless uh, just just be noticing that and, and seeing it as a distraction rather than trying to struggle with it um, but you know, as I say, you, you can also deliberately put them somewhere that's not where you're, where you're scanning just to avoid having that. You just, you have to play with it. It's not, it's something that should drop over time as you do the practice. Okay. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Cool. Anyone else want to have some last words? 
Okay, going once, going twice. It's been great having you all here. It's wonderful to see your faces and uh, please come again. Thank you.